0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Yeah, oh, I am a scientist.
2: Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I
1: am a scientist. We gotta live on science.
2: Your mind is beautiful, protected against meningitis. Visit vahealthy.org to learn more. That's V-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-Y.org. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are bringing on a very special guest to talk about a topic that is rife with misinformation, autoimmune diets, which are a specific subset of supposed anti-inflammatory diets. Before we dig into this topic, let's just do a brief recap of last week's episode. So, we shared our conversation with a fellow science communicator, the amazing Dr. Mona Amin, who's the founder of PEDS Doc Talk. So, we were recently guests on her podcast, and we thought we'd share the discussion since it's very relevant to, to our mission at Unbiased Science. So, Dr. Mona is a board certified pediatrician who launched her podcast and social media page at Talk to help parents sift through misguided parenting advice and crappy information and tune out the judgmental comments on mom forums. So together, we broadly discuss the topic of misinformation in science. We address the following questions. What could have been done differently in this pandemic? The difference between misinformation and disinformation? What comes next in this pandemic? Why debunking information is so difficult as science educators? And what it means when a pandemic becomes endemic? So if you have not listened to that episode, go back and check it out. A quick reminder to everybody that, Yes, we are a podcast, but we also
0: post lots of science content and infographics to multiple social media platforms regularly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn at unbiased And yes, we are dipping our toe into the world of TikTok. We also have a Substack subscription if you want even more extended content. Um, we post additional information there daily that goes beyond what we share to social media. Um, and it's only $5 a month, less than the cost of a Frappuccino. You can be part of the herd. Um, in addition to the additional information that we we have there on Substack, it also gives you the opportunity to weigh in on podcasts and post topics, gives you access to our private Facebook group, a monthly live Q&A, and of course merch discounts. So you can sign up there at the
2: theunbiasedsipod.substack.com. Okay, so without any further ado, we are so excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Adrian Chavez. So Dr. Chavez is the host of the Nutrition Science Podcast and founder of the Dr. Chavez School of Nutrition. He holds a PhD in nutrition and health promotion from Arizona State University, where his research was focused on translating the scientific principles of nutrition into real-world practice for chronic disease prevention. He has a strong passion for fighting against misinformation, sounds familiar, and helping people get access to practical, high-quality, evidence-based nutrition guidance. You can find him on Instagram at Dr. Adrian Chavez, where he's highly active at dispelling myths and teaching basic nutrition concepts in practical and entertaining ways. Um, Adrian Adrienne, you are a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. So
2: I'm going to be doing a lot of listening on today's episode because Dr. Chavez and Dr. Love have very relevant expertise to today's topic. So so let's set the stage a little bit and just dive right in. So what's all a buzz lately is something called the autoimmune protocol diet, the AIP diet. Buy it which is essentially a stricter version of the paleo diet. We're, we'll get into more detail on that later, but it's an eating plan modeled on supposed prehistoric human diets. And paleo has been made very popular by celebrities, including good old Gwynny, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, <laughs> uh, Blake Lively, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Jessica Biel, Miley Cyrus, Uma Thurman, Jack Osborne, and many, many more. So this is just your friendly reminder to please not take medical advice from celebrities, but instead turn to the experts like Dr. Chavez and Dr. Love. So, um, Andrea, can you maybe kick things off, set the stage a little bit about anti-inflammatory diets, autoimmune diets? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. So, you know, the growing popularity of the AIP
0: or the autoimmune protocol and, and other sort of anti-inflammatory diets really started around, um, you know, 2010 and, and so on. And it really kind of was born out of the concept that elimination diets are used medically to identify potential allergies or food intolerances. Now, these types of elimination processes, if you recall our episode with Dr. Dave Stukas, who is a clinical allergist and immunologist, are conducted under the supervision of trained medical professionals in order to determine if a given individual has an allergy or a gastrointestinal intolerance to a given food item. These elimination methods have specific protocols that are implemented and followed um, according to a pre-designed protocol. Now, the issue becomes that the concept of elimination diets have been co-opted for a variety of pseudoscience diagnoses, like food sensitivities, which again we talked about on that podcast, leaky gut syndrome, which again is not a legitimate medical diagnosis, and we talked about that with Jesse Hoffman on that podcast, and also even weight loss. And now, unfortunately, is also being promoted to cure or alleviate symptoms of inflammation as a broad catch-all, but more specifically, autoimmune disorders. Now, the premise of the autoimmune protocol is basically a staged elimination of food groups that may be associated with Immune activation and inflammation, then you maintain the eliminate, you know, you maintain the elimination of those foods and then you do a staged reintroduction of those foods in order to determine, you know, whether your symptoms are being alleviated and so on and so forth. So one of the issues is that, you know we collectively term a western diet as things that are high fat and high cholesterol high protein high sugar excess salt and and frequent consumption of processed foods and we know that that these things are high in calories, but low in nutrient density. So key macromolecules, micronutrients, and things like that. And so these sorts of diets, um, again, we're collectively calling them Western diets, um, can can, can indeed contribute to things like obesity, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, and so on and so forth. So people have kind of misunderstood and represented this sort of logic to mean that there's some sort of opposite diet that could be involved in autoimmune disorders Because things like obesity are actually characterized by chronic long-term inflammation and um, adiposity and things like that. So it's really important to understand that the metabolic and immunologic mechanisms in both nutrition and how nutrition plays a role in physiology, as well as how all of those processes are involved in the progression of autoimmune disorders is still heavily being um, studied we don't have all the answers of that yet um, but I want to hand it over to you, Adrian, and maybe you can talk really quickly about the two phases of the AIP before we really get into kind of the concept of inflammation.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, the AIP diet, as you mentioned, I, I think some people call it autoimmune paleo. Others people call it autoimmune protocol. It just depends on who you're speaking to, but it involves this elimination phase. And this elimination phase is is removing a variety of different foods. And uh, with the uh, autoimmune, protocol, you're going to be removing, uh, the the recommendation is to remove nightshades, grains, legumes, dairy, um, anything processed, uh, any vegetable oils, coffee, eggs, nuts and seeds, alcohol. It's a long list of, of elimination foods that, that someone is intended to undergo for a period of time. Uh, and, and the goal there is to, to, as you mentioned, to reduce inflammation, to, to reduce the autoimmune process and the, and, and the responses that occur, uh, you know, that, that, In this, the people, the proponents of this diet are saying that these foods are triggering those processes. So um, you're supposed to remove those foods, see how you feel, and then add those back in slowly, some of them, to see if you're responding to those foods and if there's any change in symptoms as you uh, add those foods back into the diet.
0: And Adrian, correct me if I'm wrong, but but this elimination period where you're not eating I mean, broad swaths of foods available to us um, for like months at a time. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and honestly, I I don't think there's any great guidance on how long this elimination period is supposed to last. Most of the time, I see people stuck in the elimination phase and we can talk about that a little bit more later, but uh, I don't think there's great guidance by proponents of this diet on how, you know, exactly how long this elimination phase is supposed to last or how reintroduction is supposed to occur. Uh, there's, There's a heavy emphasis on elimination and not as much on the reintroduction and and how to go about that process.
0: So maybe let's talk about um, kind of where this diet or this protocol kind of began.
2: Adrian, I had to look this up. You could definitely speak much, much more to this, but I'll at least just tell you who it's been attributed to. Um, So the autoimmune protocol diet has been attributed to Lauren Cordain, Um, she holds a PhD in exercise physiology. Um, Important to note, this is not nutrition and not immunology. And she claims to have discovered that certain foods can sometimes trigger inflammation in people with autoimmune disease. Andrea, don't bite my head off. I know we're going to talk (laughs) about this. I just want to emphasize that that's her claim. Um, Author Rob Wolf outlined the autoimmune protocol in his book, The Paleo Solution. Introducing it as an elimination diet and then Sarah Ballantine. she's a P- she holds a PhD in biophysics again, not immunology, not nutrition. She's also known as the paleo mom and Adrian, I know you you hear about her a lot, right? <laughs> You're that yes, more in a bit. And so she became interested in the autoimmune protocol and wrote about it in her book The Paleo Approach. So all of these things this attention these books have made the diet very very popular. All right. Over to you, Adrian. Sorry to cut you off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Sarah Ballantyne, I believe, is the one that that, that mainly popularized it. She's she's, uh, been promoting this for quite some time. And and as you mentioned, uh, she goes by Paleo Mom. And uh, if you you hear her story, um, she basically started this elimination diet and she felt better. And I believe that's kind of how this diet got popularized was her uh, going on different podcasts, writing about it, speaking about it, and really making claims about the diet based on the way that she responded to the diet, which can be very convincing for individuals who who may be on the other side experiencing autoimmune issues and, and thinking, oh, wow. You know this must work because this person with a PhD is a very intelligent individual. She's speaking about it in a in a way that sounds very convincing, and she's telling us a great story about how this was able to you know really help to eliminate her health issues or, or improve her health issues, which really can't be verified. Uh, I haven't seen any good verification of you know her actually making improvements in in her issues you know the stories and anecdote on on social media and online uh you know they're they're often Slight truths, um, riddled with sometimes some exaggeration, exaggeration and in hyperbole because that's what gets attention. Uh, so I believe um, you know most of what I've heard and people who have tried this have heard it from her and and um, usually reference her story and and how she was able to to reverse her autoimmune condition uh, as she claims and and that that seems to be how this diet really blew up over the last ten years.
0: So. Adrian, you bring up a lot of good points. The first is, you know, using this PhD in a completely unrelated field as a false appeal to authority to, you know, garner credibility and and utilize that as, you know, okay, I have a doctorate, therefore I must be an expert in all fields of science. Um, And the fact that, you know, anecdotes are not empirical evidence and, you know, without clinical data to attest to, you know what her particular autoimmune you know, condition was before and after, I mean, you can't, you can't even make any sort of a str- extrapolation aside from the fact that that's a sample size of
1: one, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and it, it's, that's the challenge. I believe a big challenge online is um, people tell good stories online and they're very appealing to us, just our, our nature. When we hear someone that, that overcame some, some disease process, it, it gets our attention, and it's a very good marketing strategy. It's a good way to blow up a certain concept or idea. But the reality is we we can't verify that. And that's as you mentioned, it's a it's a N of one if we could verify it, but we can't verify it. So we don't even know if this is true. And if it is true it's, it's her lived experience. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, there's there's so much variation in what she's experiencing in her autoimmune condition and her nutritional needs and her genetics and her microbiome that, that is going to differ from other individuals. And I think that's the, the biggest challenge here is that she's she's using her own lived experience as, as evidence for for this diet working. And that can lead people to believe that They should experience the same outcomes when there's so much variation from person to person. And that's why it's so important to have clinical research to help inform nutrition science and help us make decisions about nutrition because we 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 can't verify this and we need to see how this works in more people in order to be able to make any type of conclusions about how uh, a a varied population might respond to certain nutritional changes like this.
0: They're publishing books, right? You know, anybody can publish a book. You don't have to have it go through the peer review process. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, if there's evidence, why are they not, you know, publishing peer reviewed studies? Why are they going the route of a book? And of course, as you alluded to, you know, it's good marketing, right? You tell a story, you have this emotional appeal, you know, people, um you know see themselves in that story and and they personally want to feel better and that's you know ultimately a challenge i don't have the solution to but it's something where i think science communicators can really help fill the void and and distill some of that so let's talk a little bit about kind of this this inflammation and in, in terms of the diet so you know the folks that are proponents of the the autoimmune diet they they claim that you know all of these these processing of food products have you know basic outstripped our evolutionary capacity and and we can't our bodies are unable to handle artificial foods and this causes leaky gut and inflammation. Now we already tackled leaky gut syndrome on a previous podcast episode. So feel free to tune into that. But you know what do these people consider inflammation? And as we mentioned, these people are not immunologists. Um, so so let's maybe tackle what inflammation is from a cellular point of view. So basically in our body We have inflammatory and anti-inflammatory processes that are really going on at all times forever. Technically, everything we eat ever generates inflammation through the process of cellular respiration. So when we eat a food product, our body is digesting those food products into macromolecules like fatty acids, like sugar molecules, like amino acids. Those are all the subunits of proteins, carbs, and fats. And those are going to be further broken down into usable energy components that are shuttled into our cellular respiration pathway. So flashback to everybody in cell biology, Um, that's how we convert glucose and other macromolecules into the usable energy form of our cells which is called ATP or adenosine triphosphate. So the process goes glycolysis shuttles into the citric acid cycle and that also called the Krebs cycle and that shuttles into the electron, electron transport chain which is how we generate large quantities of ATP through a process called oxidative phosphorylation. Now during this process Inflammation occurs. Everything we eat causes inflammation because this is a catabolic process that's creating breakdown byproducts. So anytime we're providing these sorts of energy sources, that means we're fueling our immune cells and those immune cells are now exerting basic functions and those functions create inflammation as a catch-all. And during cellular respiration, we're also creating things like free radicals. These are atoms or molecules that have unpaired electrons, and I'm not going to get into the chemistry of that, but that basically makes them very reactive because electrons want to be paired up, and when they're not, it can make things very volatile. Um, And reactive oxygen species, which is our, our particular subset of free radicals, now these are Again, free radicals that have oxygen-containing molecules in them, but again, they're highly reactive. Now, these things, free radicals and reactive oxygen species, are actually really critical for a variety of cellular processes. But too many of them, too high levels of them or uncontrolled production of them can also lead to things like DNA damage and other cellular dysfunction. So the big thing is that everything in our body is about balance and is tightly regulated through homeostatic processes. So in reality, anytime you consume something, whether it be something that is restricted against in this supposed autoimmune protocol or something that's allowed, you're generating temporary inflammation. But that is then balanced by the anti-inflammatory processes in your body at all times. So inflammation in a broad Context is our body's immune response to some sort of insult or stimulus. So that could be a physical wound. You get a cut on your skin and that sounds the alarm to immune cells to be recruited and create inflammatory chemicals and initiate a wound healing process. That could be infection with a pathogen where your body has recognized this other type of foreign invader and it's creating, again, inflammatory chemicals to activate immune cells and fight it off. It could also be an immune response after exercise. So every time you exercise, and you know, Adrian, I'm sure we can chat a little bit about this uh, in more detail. But you create micro tears in your muscle fibers, and you're consuming energy, and so afterwards, your immune system is involved in these repair processes that recover your body after exercise. That's actually why sleep and rest is so important because that's when a lot of these immune processes are occurring. And even during digestion. So as I mentioned, when we eat things, we create inflammation. So the immune system is tightly regulated and these inflammatory and anti-inflammatory processes, again, are balanced against each other. Too much of either is not good, right? If we have too much anti inflammatory processes, that means we may have a suppressed immune response when we actually need it. And if we have too many inflammatory processes, we may have issues related to hyperinflammation, autoimmunity, allergic reactions. So there's really no reason why we're trying to avoid inflammation in and of itself because it's a critical process involved in our bodies at all times. So before I hand it over to you, Adrian, to really talk about the diet in more nuance, I want to really quickly summarize the context of autoimmune disorders because I think this really underlies just the logic behind this sort of rigid protocol, just even without discussing the data, just doesn't have a lot of logic behind it. So autoimmune disorders are a very broad catch-all for Disorders that are related to our immune response reacting against something of ourselves. So normally we're supposed to have what we call tolerance, meaning our immune cells recognize our self-cells and it doesn't react against them. It reacts against things like wounds. It reacts against things like pathogens and it's able to clear those out. But in autoimmune disorders, we have an inappropriate reaction to things of our body that our immune system should not be responding to, and as a result, that can lead to cell damage, tissue damage, inflammation, et cetera. There are currently about 80 identified autoimmune disorders Many of them have genetic linkages, potentially um, epigenetic linkages, and we talked a little bit about epigenetics in a previous episode, but we are going to tackle that specifically in the future. Um, But also some are implicated with regard to past viral infections, um, as well as some other environmental factors. So for example, multiple sclerosis has now been um, potentially linked to Epstein-Barr virus. So, I just want to talk about a few examples of autoimmune disorders, and I'm going to focus on um, five that are pretty distinct from each other. So, first is type 1 diabetes. So, yes, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disorder. It's a self-reaction directed at the islet cells in the pancreas. And what that does is it destroys the cells responsible for producing insulin, which therefore makes a person with type 1 diabetes unable to produce insulin and therefore unable to regulate and control blood sugar levels. As a result, they need to take insulin either through daily injections or an insulin pump to manage that. Another example would be something like systemic lupus erythematosus, or SLE. This is a really broad systemic autoimmune reaction that's directed at a wide array of tissues in the body. Most often, the joints, the skin, the kidneys, and other blood vessels. And this can create really systemic inflammation, um, skin disorders, and and it can lead to things like kidney failure um, later on. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder characterized by an immune response triggered by T-cells that are reacting against gluten, which is a protein found in wheat, barley, and rye, specifically in the small intestine. And this is your true gluten allergic reaction, essentially. So people with celiac disease are those that specifically cannot eat gluten because their T-cells in their small intestine will inappropriately react against the gluten protein and create this inflammatory process. The next one would be something like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune reaction directed at thyroid cells, which then damage those cells and reduce the ability of the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone, which leads to functional hypothyroidism. And that's characterized by a broad array of symptoms, including weight gain, lethargy, et cetera. And I always like to throw this one in because it's a really interesting one, but vitiligo is an autoimmune disorder that's directed at melanocytes. And melanocytes are the pigment cells in the skin, so they're the ones that produce melanin. And so vitiligo re- results in loss of pigmentation in patches. So if you've perhaps seen someone or know someone that has um, like patchwork appearance on their, usually face and throat where they they look, you know, like they've lost all of their pigment, it very well could be vitiligo. But I wanna use these as a way to summarize that all of these are very, very different. So, you know, why would a singular diet cure these autoimmune disorders when clearly they all have a variety of different physiological phenotypes, symptoms, and ultimately underlying um, molecular causes. So, Adrian, I want to hand it over to you. I want to talk about what the AIP says to eat versus not eat, and then I really want to dig into the data.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I really appreciate you going through those different autoimmune conditions because as I'm looking through this, you know, I'm thinking of the different nutritional approaches that that need to be taken for each of these, and they're so different. So different. They're so different so from different. one another. Yeah. Like when you when you look at type one diabetes, individuals, um, they they're they're not producing enough insulin, so they may not tolerate carbohydrates as well. Well, that may lead to large glucose excursions when they consume more carbohydrates and they have to regulate insulin dose to match their carbohydrate consumption. And that's what's important for type one. Whereas, right. <laughs> celiac disease, these individuals need to avoid gluten. Um, and that's going to be what's important for those individuals. in it's so different <laughs> that, that what, yeah. what the needs of, of one condition are just so much different than the other. And the fact that these are grouped into one category and, and individuals are promoting one diet for this is, uh, that's, that's the problem. That, that's the yes. big problem that we need to really address. And when, when we talk about the details of the autoimmune paleo diet, um, you know, we mentioned earlier it starts as an elimination diet. And in the elimination diet, you're, you're meant to avoid nightshades, which are tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, eggplants, um, grains, legumes, dairy, uh, I mentioned the processed vegetable oils, coffee, eggs, nuts and seeds, alcohol, and any food additives, and then also any refined sugars, artificial sweeteners, etc. And the distinction between uh, refined sugars versus natural sugars is really doesn't really make much sense because when we digest and and absorb these foods, our body sees it as glucose. There's there's absolutely no difference between the sugar and honey. And the sugar and and, and sugar and, and our body doesn't know the difference.
0: If you look at the actual composition breakdown of the sugar molecules in honey versus table sugar, it's both essentially a 50-50 ratio of glucose and sucrose. So it, it really is just sugar is sugar. It's it's kind of illogical.
1: Yeah, it makes no sense in, in how our body would respond differently to them. Now of course the, the, the delivery method is gonna be a little, little bit different if you're getting honey versus versus you know refined sugar, but as after our body Breaks that down, absorbs it. It's it's sugar. There's no difference. Our internal cells don't know don't know the difference between those two. And then, um, so you have to avoid these long list of foods. And and what you can eat are any vegetables except for those in the nightshade family. Uh, you can eat high quality seafood that's rich in omega threes. You can eat fermented foods as well all meats and and they they recommend limiting chicken due to high omega-6 content in theory there is a high omega-6 versus omega-3 ratio high omega-6 relative to omega-3 consumption can drive inflammation through molecular pathways that that really don't demonstrate, that don't seem to actually happen in humans. Um, this is mainly uh, based on molecular molecular mechanisms and not actually uh, how humans respond to these different foods. Um, they also place a special emphasis on more organ meats because of the the nutritional quantity of organ meats. Uh, they recommend small amounts of fruit because the sugar. Um, so they, they, they recommend limiting the fruit, but including a little bit of fruit. And then uh, they recommend uh, really eating all fats for the most part except for the vegetable oils and then emphasis on butter and ghee and other types of animal fats which makes no sense because those actually can drive (laughs) um, inflammatory processes more so than some of the other uh, fats that they're they're recommending avoiding and then uh, they they emphasize consuming glycine rich foods like bone broth um, and that's mainly uh, from a from a theoretical standpoint, that's mainly to support the leaky gut, quote unquote, because the the theory is that if you're eating bone broth and other uh, glycine-rich foods, that that's going to help support the gut lining, which really there's no evidence for that either. And um, the the reality is that a lot of these foods that they're recommending to eliminate, there's not strong evidence for for their role in in autoimmune processes and inflammation. And honestly, for many of these, there's actually an opposite. Uh, the the evidence shows that they actually can help to reduce inflammation. Like for example, nightshades um, tomato consumption in multiple randomized controlled trials has shown to actually slightly reduce markers of inflammation and they're recommending to avoid them. And there's not a really, a really strong basis for that same thing with uh, like grains, legumes, dairy, all of these foods have been tested in randomized controlled trials and We don't see that they're driving autoimmune processes. There's no association between consuming these foods and higher rates of autoimmune disease. There's actually a reduction in inflammation in in autoimmune conditions with, with the consumption of some of these, which when I first heard about this diet and started looking at this stuff, it, may, it I was so confused as to where all this came from, like wh- wh- the evidence that that really you know to back up uh, these eliminations, and that's where you know I dug a little bit more into it uh, several years ago, and and I basically came to the conclusion that this is just what worked for for the the author of the book, and then she decided to try to you know make a good justification for for why why it worked for her um you know she she eliminated certain foods she felt better she changed her diet in these various ways and it it worked for her and now she wants she she kind of has some molecular basis she she's like refers to cell studies sometimes uh sometimes refers to animal studies but in human in human data a lot of the things that are that are being recommended to avoid there's no basis for it and many of these foods um might actually support health, and eliminating these foods can can be problematic in many ways. Now, there is a reason why many people would feel better following this type of diet, because of course, you're eliminating processed foods, you're eliminating energy-dense, nutrient-poor uh, food sources. The average American diet is, is made up of um, over 60% added fats, refined grains, and sugar, so... <laughs> Anything that that goes away from that is, is typically going to be helpful. And and one of the things that happens with uh, with these types of diets and when people make these types of claims is, if I tell someone that that you know you can cure your autoimmune disease by following a diet, this might be the first time that they've ever been consistent in improving their overall nutritional quality because they never before thought that they could cure their condition. And someone's telling them that they can, so they're willing to do whatever it takes. Oftentimes, these people, you know, if you're dealing with autoimmune condition, you're, you're usually, you know, looking around for any type of answer. And and when someone's willing to provide an answer, and, and they say very confidently, they have a. a Ph.D. by their name, and they have a great story um, that, from a psychological standpoint, can be really impactful for someone actually being consistent with their nutrition, maybe for the first time in their life, in, in trying to add in more nutrient-dense foods and avoiding some of these other nutrient-poor, uh, energy-dense foods. And and it's not necessarily that, you know, the the foods were quote-unquote causing inflammation, but the overall diet quality was was. Not where it should have been, and that's the case for you know the average uh, individual. As we mentioned, you know what's considered a Western diet is well over 50 percent nutrient poor, energy dense foods. Refined grains, sugar, and added fats, refined fats make up the majority of the Western diet. So. Anything where you're moving away from those foods, adding in more fruits and vegetables, adding in more uh, whole foods overall is going to improve dietary quality. And for many people, the, the psychological aspect of being told that this is a cure... Um, can can lead them to actually sticking with something and that that's an important thing nutrition nutrition's is important for our health uh, and that that we understand that, everyone knows that, um, but sometimes the hardest part about nutrition is, is really having that motivation uh, to stick to something and, and be consistent with it over a long period of time, and that's what's important for uh, improving our overall health, and when you improve your overall health, you're going to improve many different aspects of of um, potentially autoimmune conditions and other diseases as well by just working on improving diet quality overall I am a So
2: Montana, are you a cozy earth convert? Absolutely. I have the bamboo sheet set uh, and I could not have gotten it at a better time. We recently made a move to Louisiana. We've basically been running our AC nonstop since March uh, because of the heat and humidity. So I love the sheets because they're temperature regulating, which means they stay cool all night long and keep me from feeling hot and sticky while I'm sleeping. And even better, Cozy Earth doesn't just offer sheets. They have towels, loungewear, and bedding, all made from that silky smooth bamboo fabric that has us and our husbands hooked. We have partnered up with Cozy Earth to offer a discount code for our listeners. It's 40% off site-wide, and it's the highest discount they offer. Head to their website at CozyEarth.com to place your order. And at checkout, enter code unbiased sci 40 that's u-n-b-i-a-s-e-d S-C-I-P-O-D and the number 40 to save 40% off of your order. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9 dollars each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose Jose, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
0: Yeah, Adrian, I mean, you make a lot of great points there. And I think, you know, the big things to note are, of course. A lot of the justification for these sorts of eliminations and rationale for why we're including glycine rich things and so on and so forth is based on in vitro studies, which again, we've talked about at length are not representative of human physiology um, or animal models like mouse models, which if you know we've talked about as well at length that are not representative of human physiology, which is why we need clinical trials and clinical data. Um, and the other thing that I note when you look at the elimination side of things, the things we're supposed to be avoiding, is we're eliminating whole grains and legumes, which are very nutrient dense, have lots of fiber, have are low in fat, are really helpful for things like lowering triglycerides. And there's a lot of data um, supporting that. And it's really interesting because... Most of the body of data regarding, um, you know, ways to alleviate other sorts of chronic conditions like cardiovascular disease and obesity and those sorts of things, you know, are suggestive of a low-fat, high-fiber diet with a lot of fruit and vegetable diversity, and um, and those are actually shown to improve symptoms of gastrointestinal issues such as ulcerative colitis, and that's kind of a, a broad catch-all for like the Mediterranean-style diet, and it's really interesting that, you know, this supposed a AIP diet um, eliminates a lot of these foods that we know have very beneficial consequences. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the studies out there that try to evaluate the AIP specifically. So one study um, was evaluating the autoimmune protocol for Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which again is an autoimmune disorder where... Um, our body, our immune cells react against thyroid cells, which ultimately damage those thyroid cells and reduce the production of thyroid hormone. And in that study, they found no statistically significant changes in thyroid function or thyroid antibodies, um, although some of the participants reported personally feeling better. Again, Adrienne, as you mentioned, you know, some of the stringency could be related to, you know, the fact that they've never followed a strict diet before, and now they're being more aware of what they're putting in their body, and has nothing to do with the actual diet itself. Um, But I want to talk more about the most commonly cited study, and this is one that suggests that there was an improvement um, in inflammatory bowel disease when implementing the autoimmune diet
1: yeah definitely and it goes back to what I was saying earlier they're taking individuals in this study this was a very small study it was a study study size of uh, 15 individuals they took individuals with inflammatory bowel disease they first of all the individual is self-selected so they volunteered to be a part of this study so there's a, a bit of a bias there it's not a it's not a random sample they also didn't have a control group, so we don't know if um, it's just the fact that they got some type of dietary recommendations, um, and it it was anything related to the diet specifically that helped. But in this study, they showed significant improvements in inflammatory bowel disease. And this is, as you mentioned, a very commonly sized study. I've been sent this study many times, like <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Anytime I say anything about, you know, autoimmune diets and saying that there there's not a such thing or there's not, you know, they aren't a cure, I get sent this study. This is a very specific condition. You know, um, inflammatory bowel disease is a, is a GI disorder that, that really, it's so different than Hashimoto's or any other autoimmune disease and these individuals they they recruited them we don't have any great information about their baseline diet we just know that they went on this elimination diet and uh, they felt better when they went on the elimination diet they showed a reduction in disease process that was significant and but but there's all of these limitations no control group small sample size these people self-selected you know I can grab a few people off the street and if they're eating a very poor diet and I get them onto a really you know nutrient dense diet that, that takes away you know processed foods and and focuses on more nutrient dense whole foods, almost any anyone's gonna have an improvement in, you know, uh, weight and health, you know, health status because because of the fact that you know you're going from something that's you know not very nutrient dense to something that's more nutrient dense. Another thing in this study is they supplemented with vitamin D and iron, um, which is important because nutrient deficiencies are important for, for autoimmune conditions. And oftentimes, individuals may have nutrient deficiencies that they're not aware of. Vitamin D is a big one. Iron is a big one as well. And in this study, they, they supplemented with those specific nutrients and some of the benefit was likely driven by the fact that they were repleting these individuals of nutrient deficiencies and that isn't talked about enough when this when this study cited um, is we like
2: we like to call those confounding variables (laughs) exactly my my data scientist if I do not get to (laughs) to chime in about this study my head is going to explode (laughs) I can't even imagine how frustrated you must be Adrian to get sent this study all the time because I read it top to bottom and for all of the reasons that you outline the small sample size no randomized design lack of blinding no control group, I mean, hello, those are <laughs> really significant flaws. Another major issue is there's real potential for selection bias. So I think it's important to state that the the. 15 participants, it was actually 18 originally, but then three dropped out. They were recruited from Scripps Clinic Medical Group Division of Gastroenterology in La Jolla, California. So these are people who were already actively seeking care. They could afford afford care. They live in a very affluent area in California. So perhaps there are characteristics of, of these individuals that are also impacting the outcomes being assessed. So just One very quick aside that I think could help illustrate this is a good friend of mine just recently told me that he's been trying the intermittent fasting diet and he was raving about it. He's feeling so much better. He lost weight. And he said, "Oh, really? To have you made any other changes?" He goes, "Oh, yeah, you know, I also stopped drinking and I started hiking every day." Well, hello. How do you know that it's the diet that is in, you know that led to your feeling better and 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 losing weight? The answer is you don't. And Andrea is as Andrea just pointed out, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about these confounding variables. There are other factors that are associated Associated with the exposure of interest, you know, with the fact that with with the diet that we're talking about, and also it associated with the outcome of interest. So there might be some other things that these people are doing that are impacting the outcome. And Andrea, as we always like to say. Um, Correlation does not equal causation, right? Yeah. And so just because this happened, it does not mean it was caused by it. Absolutely. No, I was going to say, and
0: another thing I think we need to factor in, you know, even in this limited study that again is used as this, you know, indication that you know the autoimmune protocol worked for these 15 people with no baseline measurements or lab values for inflammatory bowel disease and therefore it's going to work for every other autoimmune disorder um, what about the placebo and the nocebo effect so basically you know a lot of people can claim that they felt better but there's no clinical data to suggest that in the Hashimoto's thyroiditis study there were no improvements in in lab values um, but if you believe you're gonna have, a positive outcome because you eliminated something, you know very often you'll perceive that and the con the converse is true, right? If you think that you're gonna eat something with gluten in it and you're gonna you know feel crappy afterwards, oftentimes the anxiety or the psychological component or the belief of that, you may inevitably feel crappy. But again, that's that's things related to food anxiety and other sorts of placebo effects. And that's why we need randomized controlled trials, not in vitro studies, not animal studies, but true randomized controlled trials to account for all of these things. Placebo effects, nocebo effects, confounding variables, selection bias, all sorts of these biases. Um, And so maybe, Jess, you want to chat a little bit about some of those things that we can eliminate by constructing these sorts of of randomized controlled trials.
2: So when we do observational studies, so things like cohort studies, case control studies, we're just observing what these people are naturally doing, right? So the people who decide and have the means to take, you know, to take on these diets. And if we're doing an RCT, that's an experimental design where the researcher is randomly assigning that exposure, in this case, the diet to participants. And that random exposure is key because by doing that, we're sort of eliminating all the other, you know, the the confounders and the other bias that these other observational studies are prone to. So that's why RCTs, reign supreme. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I hope that's what you're looking for. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So
0: so again, there
2: are very limited studies to begin
0: with that suggest that autoimmune diets have any benefit. The the really the only one is is not a randomized controlled trial. It's a it's essentially a cohort study that's Constantly cited that Adrian and Justice did a great job of, you know, listing the the slew of flaws in, and the o- only other study involved um, found no statistically significant difference in in groups. So. Um, You know, there's really limited data to suggest that these are beneficial in any way, Um, but I think it's also really important to discuss the risks associated with – because some people might just be like, well, you know, it's just getting people to be more cognizant of what they're eating and more aware of, but as Adrian, you know, as you noted – it's very restrictive. It's very extreme. It eliminates entire food groups that we know are actually very healthful and beneficial and nutrient dense. Um, so, so you know, obviously there's you know the the apparent risk of nutrient and caloric deficiencies, but there are other risks associated with these types of really stringent elimination diets, um, especially among those with pre-existing medical issues. Um, you know, I think of off the top of my head eating disorders. I personally struggle with binge eating disorder and have my entire life, um, but also other sorts of psychological impacts related to things like food anxiety and others. So, you know, Adrian, I want to hear from your perspective and your expertise, you know, some of these very real risks associated with something like this.
1: Yeah. And I, honestly, I think this is the biggest issue with these type of diets is is the psychological impact. Um, y- yes, there, there's going to be nutrient deficiencies that can occur. You're, people are removing, you know, healthy foods and, and foods that have been shown to be associated with improved, you know, risk of chronic disease and cardiovascular disease and cancer. I mean, I'm thinking nuts and seeds and coffee. Like, the, these are consistently shown to be beneficial, and then people are being told to remove them. But um, the challenge with following this type of diet, and we even saw this in the, in the study, three people dropped out, and these are these are individuals who volunteered to, to undertake the diet and expected it to have a benefit, and they still dropped out of the short-term study that they were in because the diet was likely too difficult to follow. And I see this so often. And on my social media, I get messages daily of people thanking me for for pulling them out of this hole of, of believing that they have to avoid all of these different foods to be healthy. If you... Hear about this diet, and you heard about it on a podcast or whatever the case may be, and you have an autoimmune condition, and then you go on and try to undertake this diet and you eliminate all of these different foods. For a lot of people, there's gonna you're gonna develop anxiety and fear around eating these foods because individuals who promote this diet promote it as a cure. That's the biggest problem is the way that it's promoted. It, it's not, you know, promoted as hey, this might be helpful, it's promoted as This is the solution to autoimmune disease. So let's say, for example, you have you have inflammatory bowel disease, and you hear about this diet, and you hear about this study. So then you go and you eliminate coffee and eggs and nuts and seeds and all of your joy in your life, and then you try to follow this diet for a period of time. And a lot of these individuals end up feeling better for the reasons that I discussed earlier. They improve overall nutrient quality in the short term. Uh, it, it's something that that causes them to to really stay consistent with their nutrition because they've been you know they've been promised that it's going to be a healing strategy and and what ends up happening is people feel 20% better at the beginning and then they don't know what to do from there. So then they get stuck on this elimination diet because they don't, they never healed. So they they still need to be eliminating in their, in their mind. And so they, they will follow this for long periods of time. And this, this will impact their relationships. This will impact their relationship with food. This will impact their social relationships as well, because you can't go out to eat while following this diet, especially if you're completely convinced that you have to be a hundred percent consistent with it, which is what most people believe. And, Over time, this this really leads to to a very uh, just difficult relationship with food, where uh, you believe that certain things are going to be contributing to your disease process, and then if you don't heal and I've seen this many times as well, there's individuals who will follow this diet for, for long periods of time. But let's say, for example, maybe they have, you know, some coffee occasionally or some, some alcohol occasionally. And based on what they've heard about this diet and based on, you know, some claims that were made around this diet, they believe that that's the reason they're not getting better. And they feel like a failure because they, they feel like it's their fault that they're not able to reverse their autoimmune disease as is often claimed. And as you mentioned earlier, Andrea, like these autoimmune diseases are very complex. Sometimes it's viral, you know, they're driven by a viral infection that, that might have absolutely nothing to do with nutrition. And then you have an individual who, who got convinced that they can heal this disease with nutrition. So instead of seeking out appropriate care and, and going down the proper channels to to actually address the underlying uh, facets of the disease that they, they go on this very restrictive diet and and maybe sometimes they don't get any better at all and, and the way that some of these people who promote these diets oftentimes how they they end up making it more popular is what they'll do is they'll take let's say for example I promote a certain diet to 150 people I can tell I can, if I, if I told 150 people to, to, and it goes back to the intermittent fasting, if I said, hey, only eat on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but don't eat the rest of the week. And if I told that to 150 people, there'd probably be 10 people who, who were like, oh, my God, I feel amazing. I lost weight. My, my inflammation's down. I, I, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I can take those 10 people. And share their testimonial on a social media channel, ignore the other 140 that, that had no benefit, that that probably got worse, that had, you know, that, that passed out because they were starving themselves all weekend, and you can make it seem... Like these diets are very beneficial. That's the thing I get. I hear a lot from people is, oh well, you know I, I see so many testimonials for it, and the reality is when you promote something so broadly and you promote it with claims that are that are you know that that drive hope and, and might cause people to really you know undertake this with with high amounts of hope, expecting to cure their condition. It can lead people to do it, and then you can you can use those testimonials. And this is this is exactly what the medical medium does. Although I know this is a different topic, but you take those testimonials and you you just you you show them in front of people, and it makes the individuals who are following this diet who aren't able to achieve that type of you know result. That it makes them feel like they're doing something wrong, and and I've seen this. I I would be willing to bet that. 80 to 90% of the people that follow this diet end up in this type of hole. Like who really get, who really get, um, you know, committed to it and stick with it, they end up in this situation where they're, you know, they may, might feel 20, 25 percent better because they improve nutritional quality, not because there was anything special about the diet. And now they're avoiding, you know, things like coffee, nuts, seeds, whole grains, legumes, that have been shown to be beneficial for long-term health, in favor of things like butter and fatty meats, which are which are promoted in this diet. And that type of dietary approach, number one, is going to have a negative impact on long-term health. But number two, it's going to lead that individual to struggle with following this. And, um, in the, the relationship with food can really, really be damaged over time. I've seen, in my opinion, the, the biggest and, and most difficult side effect for many people is a psychological aspect. And it really does cause harm for many people, especially when they're stuck. I, I it's like dietary purgatory where you're just kind of stuck in this really restrictive diet. It's hard to follow that impacts your social relationships that, that causes you to have to prepare every meal and you have to read every label and, and, and be worried about every little ingredient that's in every food. And, and the reality is that that's just not necessary. And when you look at, you know, overall you know, autoimmune disease, um, there's other factors there's so many other factors that can be can can uh, play a role stress sleep you know physical activity and and when individuals get so hyper-focused on this diet it takes up over their whole life to where they they don't have the the mental bandwidth to even focus on these other important aspects of self-care and in in my opinion it it ends up oftentimes leading individuals towards this path of, of ignoring everything else in their life to try to stick to this diet. And, and and that can be really harmful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's really heartbreaking. And and I think it, you know, it's a common theme that we see in a lot of these pseudoscience, you know, fads, um, you know, restriction or, or false information. And it, and it almost paralyzes people that have gotten preyed upon simply because they're trying to seek answers Um you know and it's and it's really hard to hard to hear and again i think you know i'll echo jess's reminder again we're not trying to make light of people who have fallen prey to this who are you know attempting this we're just trying to you know present the science and present the lack of evidence um so that you can make better decisions um and i and before we wrap up i just really want to want to quickly summarize cuz of course we're talking specifically about this autoimmune diet but of course there's a lot of chatter about anti-inflammatory diets more generally. And as we chatted about early on, everything you eat technically is inflammatory. Exercise is inflammatory. Digestion is inflammatory. You know, all these sorts of things are technically inflammatory, but it's balanced by... Your immune system's anti inflammatory responses to maintain this homeostasis. But a lot of those anti inflammatory bi- diets really tell you to include things like lots of fruits and vegetables and seed oils and lean proteins and et cetera. So these are just well balanced diets with lots of fiber and are very nutrient dense. And they tell you to avoid inflammatory foods. And I have air quotes there like refined carbohydrates, sugar sweetened beverages, red meat, um, you know, and animal fats. Um, again, these are calories dense, but not nutrient-dense foods, and they're typically low in fiber. Um, so it really has nothing to do with an inflammatory process or an inflammatory diet. It's really, again, Adrian, as you mentioned, balanced nutrition and overall improvement in your diet overall. And, and often people are implementing these sorts of things alongside, as Jess mentioned, exercise and cutting out alcohol and better sleep habits and all these sorts of things that ultimately you know, are collectively involved in physiology, immune system function, et cetera. So Adrian, before we wrap up or just any any
1: final thoughts? One thing I would like to add uh, definitely to this piece of the discussion. So there there truly is or there truly are individuals in the likelihood of this being the case is higher among individuals with autoimmune disease. But there are food sensitivities and food intolerances that can Cause someone to feel worse. Like for example, um, a lot of individuals with autoimmune conditions also have digestive issues, and they may not feel well when they eat legumes because legumes are high in FODMAPs. So oftentimes, um, there is a little bit of truth to some of these uh, some of these eliminations, and so that's why some individuals they'll they will feel better. even individuals who are eating like a overall balanced diet, sometimes when they go on these elimination diets, they'll feel better. and there's there's if you're actually working with someone who understands nutrition, there there's, Good reasons for this. Like there, there are great justifications for why some individuals may not tolerate certain whole grains, or some individuals may not tolerate gluten, or some individuals may may be more sensitive to dairy, or may be more sensitive to certain foods, but that is secondary to the overall improvement in nutritional quality. So I don't want to completely discount, you know, the idea that that some of these foods may cause, you know, certain reactions in individuals and and may make them feel worse because they can. And so um, I know individuals who who maybe listen to this think, oh, well, I feel horrible when I eat legumes and you're telling me these are healthy like that, that that doesn't add up to me. well, Well, the reality is we're all different. We all have different microbiome and genetics and, and, um one one person may may not tolerate legumes well but my my recommendation is not to go on these extreme elimination diets without proper guidance and also to focus first on what you can add in focus first on improving nutritional quality focus first on eating more fruits and vegetables eating more lean meats eating more whole foods exercise stress management sleep and then you know if you if you think you may be able to or you want to Explore whether or not certain foods may be problematic for you. Uh, I highly recommend getting guidance in that area so that you can identify, you know, certain foods and food groups that may be a problem because any. Any nutritionist who has a lot of experience in this area can likely help to um, guide you in the right direction, so that you're not eliminating all of these foods and, and over But you know, sometimes you know, eliminating gluten or eliminating you know certain FODMAPs it can, can be very helpful, can improve symptoms, make someone feel better. But there's certain things like coffee, which usually almost never makes sense um, you know in, in some of these foods they, they just they don't make sense in almost anyone and, and in I've spoken to so many people a lot of the clients that I've worked with are so excited that, that they can eat they can drink coffee and that that's not an issue um, and it, it usually isn't and, and so I highly recommend you know taking a, an additive approach because I know many people are probably going to be listening to this thinking you know, well, I, you know, I do have autoimmune disease and I don't, I don't know what to do. And, um, you know, focus first on improving overall nutritional quality, focus first on um, a, more whole foods, less processed foods, less of the refined carbohydrates and sugars and added fats, uh, more fruits and vegetables, lean meats, balanced meals, making sure that you're feeding yourself throughout the day. You know, a lot of the stuff that I talk about on my, on my Instagram is uh, just, you know, those things are first... And then these advanced nutritional strategies of eliminating certain foods and things like that, that needs to be reserved for later and that needs to be done with guidance. Otherwise, you might end up in this nutritional purgatory that I talked about and it's a lot harder to get out of it once you're there um, because oftentimes you can develop intolerances to certain foods. Like if you don't have dairy for for a year, you're not going to tolerate it and and. That's an issue that I see often as well, and and then people go down this rabbit hole of, okay, well I eliminated these things and I feel better. So what if I eliminate these other foods and feel even better? And I've spoken to many people who, who are eating less than ten foods a day, expecting that you know they just kept eliminating, thinking that they were going to feel better, and then they don't know what to do. And, and that's I really want to discourage people from going down that route because that can be very very damaging.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. All right, so. I think everybody now is armed with, um, you know, hopefully a good overview of what autoimmune disorders are, what inflammation really is. um, The fact that the body of data right now, you know, we understand that nutrition and healthful nutrition is certainly involved in a variety of cellular processes, but there's no... Um, direct link in terms of omitting specific food groups or nutrients in order to change or um, cure autoimmune disorders or you know reduce inflammation as a broad catch-all. And there is a review that that uh, we'll post up with the show notes that has um, a nice summary of of the current gaps in knowledge. But ultimately, the bottom line is there is no body of evidence to suggest that a highly restrictive diet such as the autoimmune protocol or otherwise can help alleviate symptoms of auto autoimmune disorders, reverse autoimmune disorders, or reduce inflammation more broadly. As I think everybody understands, these sorts of conditions are extremely multifactorial. They involve genetics, epigenetics. They involve... Exposures to viruses, other sorts of environmental exposures, and a whole slew of other things. And we're still only scratching the surface so of understanding all of these mechanisms. Me. But I want to give a special thank you to Dr. Adrian Chavez for joining us today. Thank you, Adrian.